Hello, and welcome back to the Pick Swap Podcast. I'm James Brand. I'm here with, with Sean. What's up, Sean? Not much going on. This is our uh, first official off-season podcast. And before we get into things, I just want to talk about our sponsor, uh, La Terrain Watches. I just got mine that came in this week. They're awesome watches. It was super professionally done, and they just look great. You, they got whatever price you need, whatever price range. And uh, give us a shout-out in there. Use promo code PSP10 for 10% off. You get free shipping with your order, and you can't beat it. They're great watches. No, and it came in pretty fast, didn't it? You said you ordered it, like, right away last week, and it was here early this week? Yeah, yeah, with under a week. And it's super happy with how it turned out, too. It looks awesome. Yeah, it looks great. Um, yeah, I'm super excited about that, man. It's uh, We talked about it a little bit last week. It's uh, really encouraging. Shout-out to the guys at PSN that got this done. Um, so we're going to get right into it today. Um, like you said, first off-season, you know, actual off-season uh, podcast after the finals ended we saw a lakers victory in six games as a lot of people predicted and a lebron finals mvp so i know you're not a you weren't super happy about that you were pulling for the heat how do you feel about the uh, the way the season ended yeah i thought it was pretty inevitable that the lakers would end up coming out on top of that season obviously on that series obviously they, they look super dominant in that last game and you saw kind of the Heat's magic run out, which just they just did not have enough health left and healthy yeah. bodies. Jimmy Butler was so beat up. Bam was beat up. Dragic tried to play through, but it's like they didn't have enough left in the tank. That Lakers team was obviously built very well. Anthony Davis is terrific. They got a lot of great bench pieces, and they are a deserving championship team. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I, I do feel really bad for Goran Dragic. I, I'm, I'm obviously – I'm not a Heat fan. I despise the Heat, and I can say that I did not like Goran Dragic for a long time. But watching how well he played in in the Eastern Conference playoffs, and then going into the finals, and and seeing him get hurt early on was uh, discouraging. And you could see how much it hurt him. Mm-hmm. He's been waiting a long time to get in that position, so it was tough to see him go down like that. Yeah, and um, changed the series. He's the leading scorer throughout the playoffs for the Heat, and. He had a major impact on that team, so it hurts them yeah. that he wasn't in there big time too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so enough of the rest of the league. We don't even care about them. Uh, <laughs> we want to talk about the 76ers. Um, so we're getting right into the offseason stuff. We're going to talk some free agents today, some draft, um, some predictions, and then some uh, the biggest offseason issue to be solved um, before going into next season. So we've talked about this before. There's a lot of things the Sixers need to fix. Um and you recently wrote an article on Philly Sports Network about, you know, a couple guys that are in a reasonable price range that the Sixers could pick up um, in this free agency. So throw a couple names out for me and let's talk about the guys that you think are um, op- realistic options for the Sixers come free agency. Yeah, so obviously the Sixers are going to be super tight on money for this free agency. And the dreams of Joe Harris or Davis Bertans would, as awesome as that would look, I just... I, they're going to get priced out of those guys very quickly in free agency. Yeah. The number one name that comes to my mind that I would absolutely love to see is DJ Augustine. And for that, it's just, I think it's an underrated reason for this team that's talked about is they need such a legitimate point guard just as a backup and a key bench piece. And I think Augustine's a good enough player to play down the stretch. If you want to slide Simmons off ball, which is an area of his game that he needs to continue to develop and it'll help with that. And Augustine, he's 32 years old. He's been in the league for 11 seasons, eight teams. He's been in contenders, been in rebuilds. There's not many situations that he hasn't handled. So he's just a guy that can handle everything. And I think he'd be a great locker room guy. He's super respected on Magic, and I would love him here. Yeah, I, I've been um, I've been a fan of DJ Augustine for a while. He's just he's just a you know a pro. He's right. been like you said, he's been around for a while. He's been around the block. He knows the ins and outs of this league, and he's a he's a very solid backup point guard. He's a guy that can you could spot star if need be. 
but I really like the dynamic of him coming in, you know, when Simmons goes out or, you know, if even him and Simmons together, I like that option. Um, but DJ Augustine's is a, he'd be a great option. And I'm, I'm guessing he's not going to get a lot of money. He's his age is getting up there, but I'm sure he could produce for another season or two for the Sixers. I mean, with the Sixers luck, he would be, he would end up being like 47 years old by halfway through next season. But yeah, he's I, I do like, He's coming off a, a $7.25 million deal with the Magic for this season that he's getting paid. I am kind of concerned. My biggest concern for not getting him would be that he decides to stay with the Magic and they decide to pay him a little more, given that yeah. they just had their AC. They won a game in the playoffs. They actually look pretty good. And, like, there's, it seems like they're starting to put the pieces together. So if he wants to continue building with that. But I think he's a guy that can help a contender out right away. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the Magic, the Magic had a tough go. I mean, Jonathan Isaac going down was huge for them. Um, and they, yeah, like you said, they kind of have some pieces going together. They have too many, they have too many guys that fit the same bill, which is kind of where the Sixers are. Their guys just aren't as good as the guys on the Sixers, so they can't, you know, put them in a position to win as well as the Sixers. But no, I do like. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Augustine idea here. Mm-hmm. Uh, another guy I want to bring up, and this is a familiar Sixer name, is Marco Bellinelli, and that obviously the biggest glaring need is shooting. And Bellinelli's a guy that will probably take up a significant amount of the very little cap room that we have. We do go to sign him, but he just is a guy that's willing to shoot at that nobody else on the roster is doing. And he, he's great moving off the ball. He's again, he just chucks it up, which is just, even when he was here, there would be crazy shots that he would throw up and they would fall down. And it's just like, as much as that's not a great shot, like it's what the team needed and it opened things up. And he was on the, the best constructed Sixers team that we've had in recent years. And I would love to see him back. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. Like, I I love Bellinelli. Um, he just even when he's one of those guys when even when he's not hitting or he's not like really playing well, you can't sag off him. You can't give him space. So there's always a defender attached to him. There's always a defender with his eyes on him. And if there's not, he's gonna knock down shots. I loved, absolutely loved the way him and Ben played together. I mean, mm-hmm. we've talked about this a million times, but Ben with shooters is you know phenomenal and watching a rookie Ben Simmons play with Bellinelli Bellinelli and and JJ Redick and and you know whoever else was on that roster was he was fantastic so I'd love to see you know season four Ben come in with some guys that could shoot like Bellinelli just you know an unconscious trigger where if he has the ball in his hands he think he he could put it in from basically anywhere and I I love that about him so I'm I'm a big fan of the Bellinelli idea as well yeah he shot up he had a down year with the Spurs this year which kind of makes me think he's out the door and I think it'll cheapen his contract a little bit, which works out in our favor, but uh, he shot 52.9% of his shot attempts on the catch and shoot, which is like a foreign concept to most of the Sixers (laughs) roster right now. And will be a pleasant change with that. So I think he's a great fit with that regard, which just right away. Totally agree. Uh, Another guy I want to talk about, this is kind of a a lesser known name is Jordan McLaughlin. And uh, so he went undrafted out of USC. He's kind of worked his way through the G League and fought his way up. And he played uh, with the T-Wolves last year. He's 24 years old. Uh, He's only played in 30 total NBA games, but he flashed kind of what he can show. He had a game where he dropped 24 and 11. And he ranked eighth in the NBA in assist-to-turnover ratio. He's a super good, like, locker room guy. He's got great leadership qualities. Uh, The Timberwolves were super high on him with that. So I think there's a chance he ends up back in Minnesota. But if he scrambles loose, he's a guy that's kind of a buy low with a ton of potential move. Yeah, I like that. Um, I like having a plethora of those those guys. Like you talk about him and like Augustine, while they're not the same player, obviously Augustine has proved a lot more in this league than um, McLaughlin has. But 
I really like a guy like that that has the ability to like you look at um and I'm not I'm not comparing because I know Sixers fans would not like to hear this comparison, but TJ McConnell. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's not he wasn't the best player on the floor and he wasn't making a huge difference. But when he's playing well, it's a great sign for the team. Right. You know what I mean? He doesn't have to be great every night, but the nights that he is playing very well, you know that this that, that night is going well. So I, I like those those type of guys. I like having, you know, a good locker room guy on the bench and any type of guy like that like that is always a positive for this team. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I wouldn't say his play style is similar to TJ, but I, I no, agree no, with the no. concept. but uh, he's a little bit undersized, but he has a nice, he attacks the basket. Well, he can shoot the ball at a decent rate. And again, this is a guy that's kind of a low risk, high reward option for working with not a little money. Yeah. Uh, another guy that I want to talk about, and this is another fairly established name is Jeff green. And uh, for Jeff green, obviously another wing piece, we need some help there. He's another guy that in a lot of ways is kind of the ultimate professional. He's been around the block a ton and he's kind of outgrown all the talks of him being like a bust and kind of settled into yeah. his, his role as just a, a solid bench scorer. He still shows flashes where he looks like, like the prospect that he was coming out of uh, in, into the draft and into the league. And, but uh, he's worked on a minimum contract the last two years. So I think we can get him pretty cheap and I think he could uh, bring a lot to the team. And he, he played for doc, right? At some point, I believe so with the Celtics. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think yeah. was it. Didn't he play for the Clippers recently? Um, I'm, I, you know what? I'm thinking of Jermichael Green, aren't I? Okay, yeah, I'm pretty sure. But either way, um, yeah, no, I'm. I've been a big fan of Jeff Green for a while. Um, big fan of him on 2K. Okay. I liked playing with him on 2K, <laughs> but no, I like Jeff Green. He's a guy, you know, a veteran. I, I like the idea of bringing in some of those old guys, not old guys, but some veteran leadership. Some guys that can take some of that weight off, and you know. We haven't had a lot of that going in, and, and the Horford experiment has proved to be nothing less than detrimental for this team. So, you know, bring some veteran guys that don't need the ball all the time that are just kind of there to provide the help and, and do exactly what they're meant to do rather than asking them to do a lot more. I like Jeff Green in that situation. Yeah, agreed 100%. Uh, another guy that's uh, more of a low-risk, high-reward option is Alonzo Trier, who I like. He's a similar story to McLaughlin in that he went undrafted. He had more of kind of a – like different reasons for not he was more like he failed a drug test in college he his time was cut short there but he's worked up through the g league he's shown flashes and the biggest thing that jumps out with me is he's just a a isolation scorer in a way that like could provide a lot for the bench i like this because he reminds me a lot of trey burke Mm -hmm. and it's it was proven in the playoffs that a coach that knows how to use trey burke means that he could play well so that kind of player does play well in the NBA. And Alonzo Trier had, you know, a couple stretches with the Knicks where he was playing well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would see him playing on a dock. I think um, he might he might succeed in the system. It just, I mean, he, he reminds me of Trey Burke so much the way he plays. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do like that idea as well. Yeah, I think he'll be a little less ball dominant than Burke. And I think Burke's yeah. more a better distributor than, uh, than uh, Trier is. But just that kind of cold-blooded want to score – isolation let me take my man and beat him and score like that's what i, I want to see out of a bench piece and he's yeah. another he'll be a fairly cheap contract he's a guy that you can throw in for a couple minutes and work and who knows maybe he outplays that and shows because he's still super young hasn't been in the league a lot yeah uh and next guy is uh markeith morris i want to talk about so this when we talk about signing a big and a lot of this we'll get into more it comes to whether or not horford's around but I would love looking for – you're never going to find a backup big that can replicate what Joel Embiid does. 
But if no. you can find guys that compliment him on the court and can still fill in and play starter minutes, that's exactly what you need. And with Morris, like he automatically brings kind of a toughness, a leadership, kind of just the way he goes about himself that would be nice on this team. And just like, I think he makes more of an impact off the stats that off or off the box score than he does in it. But I think he brings a lot to the table. Yeah. Um, the only question Mark I have for that is the Mark, the, the Morris brothers have bad blood with Embiid and, and, and Simmons. They've gotten, there's been some scuffles. There's never been, I don't think I've ever seen a Morris uh, brother play against a Philadelphia team without there being some sort of some scrum somewhere. Yeah. But, um, I, I agree. They're also they're Philly helping, guys. Yeah. They're Philly guys, super tied to Philly, still give back to the community a ton and great guys in that regard. And just uh, he's coming off, obviously, the the pass in the – he's getting let off the hook for for the Danny Green shot after that, which is nowhere <laughs> near close. But, yeah, right. again, I think, like, he can come in, play, play minutes when he needs. And that toughness that I'm, like, kind of talking about is what I want this team to kind of shift more onto. Just that, like, the it was kind of a, a facade, the, the bully ball the toughness bully ball. that we saw this year. <laughs> and just, like, I want more of that. Oh, yeah. When, when, Brett, when Brett Brown sat down at the – the presser before last season and was like, we're going to smash mouth offense and yeah. bully ball defense. And I was like, I was so into that. And I would love to see them get back to that a little bit. And they have the pieces too, man. Right. Like you, nobody wants to, you know, step up against the lineup with, you know, Ben and, and Matisse and Josh Richardson and, and, and Joel, you know, that defensive team is really scary. And adding a guy like uh, uh, Markeith Morris, just adds like another level of just grit and toughness that I love. Um, and he might bring some of that out of Ben and, and Matisse. And I don't want to say I want to see Matisse corrupted, but if, if Matisse, yeah. I would gotten a fight sometime next year with the Morris <laughs> brother, uh, the whole city would erupt and he might, he, he, he probably will never, he'll never buy a drink in Philadelphia anyway, but he would be clear in Philadelphia for the rest of his life. If he got in a fight, I would, I would love that. Yeah, you saw Mike Scott got him cursing midway through last year. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that man. would be amazing. Could you imagine Mike Scott and a Morris, like, yeah, one of I the want, Morrises, man? I want to see that toughness. Like, as much as we talk about, and they deserve it, like the Simmons, Thibel, all great defenders like that, they're too nice. Like, I, I want some genius <laughs> on <you> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the last guy I want to talk to talk about, and it goes back to the the uh, backup big, is Nerland Snowell. And uh, I don't know if like, he necessarily fit – fits like the toughness build but he you can do a lot with just like pick and roll throwing lobs and blocking shots on the defensive end and if that's all he has to do and we're not focused on him developing no more and he's accepted that that's what he's going to be in the nba i think he can be really successful in this league and i think he can provide valuable minutes down the stretch i love nerlens i'm so happy that you put him on this list i would love to see nerlens in philadelphia again man him and joel are good friends um i'd love to see the i would love to see a ben and nerlens pick and roll and and them running the floor together i think he would i think noel would have a really good time playing with ben mm-hmm. um and he's a guy like he's norvell pell except like better you know what yeah. i mean he just is an established player that doesn't foul all the time and doesn't seem lost offensively all the time mm-hmm. um i mean his, his offensive repertoire is limited we've we've known this um, but we've seen him progress, you know, when he went to Dallas and then to Oklahoma City. He's a solid player, and I would like to see him back. Like, if he's willing to sign for the mid-level exception, I'd love mm-hmm. to see him back in Philadelphia. Yeah, I'm not a major Nerlens guy, but I think he brings a lot to the table just as, like, a change of pace big, being able to run the floor with yeah. Ben. And, like, 
it goes back to his exit in Philly was when the the log jam with obviously Okafor and Embiid and uh, Nerlens wanted so bad to be the star and be that guy. And I think kind of he's cost himself millions and millions of dollars by not taking that uh, deal with the Mavericks. And I think he's kind of settled yeah. into like, this is what I can be in the NBA, but a uh, huge L for the agent on his part on that. Yeah, that was a, that was a really bad move. Like yeah. one of the historically bad moves by an agent. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much all I got for free agent. Yeah. I want to throw a quick one in Dario Saric. Yeah. Dario. I, <laughs> that would be another that I would, I would love to see, but I don't know if it's the right move for the team. Just like, no, it's probably I see the not. fit. Yeah. Uh, I, like if it happened, would I be really happy and like tweet all about it? Yeah. 100%. But I don't think it will, or I don't even think it probably should happen, but yeah. Um, we can move into some draft stuff here. I don't want to get too into the draft mm-hmm. topic because I want to do like an entire podcast about the draft when that gets closer. Um, but we've seen some, you know, some things heat up talking about our, the 21st pick of the Sixers make that pick, which I don't know. Do you think they will? I think they will. I, I think most likely they look for these type of names that we're talking about in free agency and try and find a shooter in the draft is my prediction. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously we, we've had a couple of discussions about the draft here. Um, it looks like Neesmith is not going to make it to us. Right. It doesn't look like Sadiq Bey is going to make it to us unless we move up a couple spots. Um, so looking at the guys that might be available in this spot, there's some, there's three names that I've looked into that I've kind of spent some time um, looking at watching film and, and things of that nature. Um, one of them being Tyrell Terry. And we've talked about him. Another being Desmond Bain and the third being Grant Riller. Um, I like all three of those guys. Um, they all bring a different thing or some different aspects to the table. Which one of those three guys do you think is most likely or which one of those three do you like the best? Uh, I like Grant Riller a lot. And there's been a lot of traction on the and the, the between the Sixers and Riller as well. So there's a lot. Zach just wrote about it and talked to him in pretty good length. So uh, that's worth the read as well. So I could see that happening for sure. Out of the three of those, I like Terrell Terry a lot. Just based on – he obviously is going to have a lot of limitations to his game right away just based on his size and, like, he's not quite NBA ready. But I think he is a guy that, like, we can be patient with and he can develop into just that scoring threat, that automatic, the catch and shoot. We can turn him – he's more moldable than I see a lot of guys in the draft, which I, I like a lot. And I think, like, as much as we need an impact player, we still can afford to, like, wait a little bit and develop a guy. So uh, Terry's my pick with yeah. that. Yeah, I, I'm – when we first started talking about the draft, I was like so far away from Tyrell Terry. I was like, don't touch him with a 10 foot pole. Um, but we've seen him put on some muscle, grow a few inches. Um, 6'3, what did he say? He went from like 6'1, 160 to 6'3, 175 mm-hmm. since the um, start of his freshman year at Stanford. So there's some things that I like to see from him. Um, I, we've seen less and less of the size matter in the NBA in terms of like, guys that can produce we see small guys like Steph Curry Trey Young I'm not saying he's those guys but I love the way he shoots man and and that kind of shooting ability and the confidence that he shoots with is just something the Sixers do not have Mm -hmm. and I would love to see them take him at 21 um just even even if it's he even if he doesn't play point guard yeah like even if he's just a combo guard that just kind of floats around the three-point line and shoots threes and and you know he is a playmaker he can make good passes i uh 
in some film I've seen him make, he telegraphs passes. He tries to do too much sometimes, which is something Doc can help him with, which something the coaching staff can help him with. Just playing with NBA players will help him with that. Um, and I wouldn't expect him to like help out early on as much, but like you look at Landry Shamit, he played point guard right in college. He hasn't played a lot of point guard in the NBA, but he's still a very good shooter and a viable guy down the stretch. And we've seen him in the last two seasons become a guy that can really put it down. So I like uh, Terry in, in that, in that spot. I also like the other two guys, Grant Riller um, playing at a small school, is again, not something that is as big of a deal as it, as it used to be. Um, so we've seen, you know, John Morant come out of Murray state and, and things of that nature. Um, I like Desmond Bain. He has an unorthodox shot though, which kind of just not about, it's not even his fault, but it's like just the Sixers and the way that they have seemed to find ways to mess everything up. It scares me a little bit that he just might forget how to shoot. Um, and he just doesn't have a lot to his game. He's he's a big bodied guy. He has some offensive tools, um, but I'm not I'm not completely sold on him yet. I'd like to see a little bit more out of him. Yeah, I agree. I'm not big on the the Bane train. Uh, another <laughs> another guy I also kind of like that we've talked about is Kier Lewis. And obviously, a lot of this yeah. depends on how it plays out with free agency and stuff like that. Like if we go guard heavy in free agency and find a legit backup point guard, I obviously don't want Lewis to be the pick here. But he's yeah. a guy that I think provides an immediate change of pace to the team. And kind of and when we talk about guys that make an impact right away, I think Lewis is ahead of even like Terry and stuff like that. But I think Terry's ceiling is obviously higher. But Lewis just has that like the get to the rack quicker than anyone. And he runs a fast break great. And just I think he would provide a lot right away. Yeah, I like him as well. And I mean, I get ahead of myself when I think about lineups and things and where they would fit mm-hmm. and how many minutes they'd be playing and things of that nature. But, I mean, I always try to think about how these guys mesh together. And Lewis with a lineup like Ben and, and Matisse and Shake and Joel, like there's so many different ways that they can score in that lineup. And and defensively, if, if he's, he's a small body guy as well, he's not going to he, – he might take some time to, you know, grow into that NBA role – but the defensive front of those five and like just the fact that they can, anytime there's a rebound, mm-hmm. you have Matisse and Kerry Lewis running up the floor, whether Lewis has it and throwing it to Ben, whatever it is, that stuff kind of gets me going. I like to think about that. So I do like Lewis as well. I have a couple of second rounders here that I'd like to just throw at you. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I, we've, we do have a, we have a plethora of second round picks, which, we might just take all of them. I don't know. Who knows at this point? I don't know what Elton Brand has planned. No, I don't think anyone does. So um, Peyton Pritchard, as you've mentioned before, Love him. Um, another yeah. guy that, that I've liked um, is Nick Richards, the yeah. uh, center for Kentucky. Yeah. And he is kind of um, a Nerlens-esque player, just not, not as skilled. He wasn't as skilled in college. Mm-hmm. but he's very good at what he does. He's going to play defense. He's going to rebound and he's going to rim run. And I like that kind of guy. And if you can't get that big in free agency, I would like Nick Richards in that spot in a, in a second round spot. Yeah. I don't, I don't hate that in the second round spot. I also meant to mention earlier, Nerlens is also younger than Norvell Pell. When we talk about thinking about oh, yeah. backup minutes like that, uh, but the back to Richards is kind of a, again, a lot of this depends on how free agency goes and that, what we're looking for but he's a guy worth a second round flyer which is all you can ask for yeah so wait don't get me wrong here or correct me if i'm wrong here 
the draft is in mid-November, but free agency doesn't start until December 1st. I, I know the, the draft is November 12th. The free agency date, I think it's been still pretty fluid for what the exact timeline is. I thought I, I saw it was last week they set it for December 1st, and that would, that would screw a lot up. Actually, no, the draft is normally before free agency. Yeah. Uh, oh. Yeah, I, it's gonna make a it's gonna be a weird year no matter what when we talk about like the scouting for prospects and the meetings yeah. that it's gonna be with teams. But I, I don't know, it's all gonna be interesting. Yeah, for sure. I also really like. I don't know where Trey Jones is gonna fall, mm-hmm. but a backup point guard, I love Trey Jones, and and uh, if he somehow makes it into a spot where the Sixers can take him in the second round, um, also Marcus Howard, uh, very undersized though. But these are some names I've been looking at, checking out, um, just to keep on a radar. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, one more name that I want to talk about, and this could even wander into the first-round conversation, is Josh Green out of Arizona. He's another guy that checks a lot of boxes for just, like, catch-and-shoot, shooting guard, runs, runs, runs the floor right, does a lot of the right things. He doesn't have nearly the ceiling that I think when we talk about Terry and guys like that. And, like, he he's very – just stays in his lane, does his job, which – is will work right away and make an impact right away. But he's a guy that could fit on the roster. Yeah. I mean, with the way the Sixers are right now, there's a lot of like when looking at draft prospects and looking at at players, you can afford to take a guy that is like, when I look at Sadiq Bay, also I wanted to mention earlier, Grant Riller is really old. He's going to be 24 before the next season starts. He graduated at 23 years old. Not that that's a turnoff for the Sixers, but just in general, having a 24 year old rookie is something you don't hear. Like he's going to be older than like shake Milton next year. Shake. Yeah. Like, um, but anyway, those guys are attractive to the Sixers. I mean, you look at Matisse, a guy that spent four years in college, came out of college at 22. He was able to step in and play minutes for the Sixers this season because of that. You see a lot of these like lower first, early seconds, not being able to get as many minutes because they're not NBA ready because they are 19 years old, 20 years old. So looking at those guys, having a guy like even, even talking about Josh Green, where you say he's kind of, he is what he is. When you look at like Sadiq Bey, he is what he is. Nick Richards is what he is. I like those guys in the draft. I, that doesn't turn me away from them at all. If they are what they are and they know what they can do, coming up to that next level is not as much as it's, it's a growing period. You know what I mean? There isn't that space between what they are and what they can be. He is what he is. So I like the idea of bringing him in and letting him play that role almost immediately. Mm, I, I agree with that. And I, I think there's a strong chance that green ends up in some way being the pick for whatever reason. But I also think that like Josh green being who he is and Sadiq Bay being who he is, there's a huge gap between that. And even more so than I think oh, yeah. looked at in the like mock dress between them. So I'm way more uh, green to me is kind of a settlement pick as much as he's checks all the boxes that we need. And like, looks like great. When you think about it, I just, I don't know. He doesn't jump off the paper for me. Oh no, no, no. And I'm not like, if you could give me Sadiq Bay right now, mm-hmm. like 100% I'm going to take that over Josh green. I'm just saying that type of guy. Right. Um, I mean, before we move on here, what do you think it takes to get up to, I mean, where do you see Sadiq Bay falling, and do you think there is a chance um, that the Sixers could move up to that spot? Yeah, I do think there's a chance. I think he's going to 
fall somewhere in the the teens and somewhere in that area. So I think it's just a handful of picks that we'd have to move up. Obviously, you mentioned the four second round picks. The uh, our first second round pick obviously is pretty valuable, thirty third overall, and like that could hold some value if they feel like shipping out a guy like like I don't know Furkan or something like that if they decide to bring him back and. It's, it's tough. I don't think it's going to take a, a ton to move up just a couple spots, especially on a year where got, teams are scared off to make the wrong pick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would like to see them try. I, I love Sadiq Ben. I love the way he would fit with this team. So mm-hmm. if there's a chance, I would love to see it. We're going to get, we'll get more in depth with that later on. I don't want to get too far into it. We'll break down. We'll like come up really prepared for that one. I, I'm, I'm excited for that. Um, so I want to get into some predictions here. Um, like obviously we see the Lakers win this year, the heat in the finals. Do you see both those teams being as successful next year? Do you see there's going to be a lot of, you know, parody? There's going to be a lot of change. What are you seeing for next season? I know it's like nearly impossible, but like we talk about the Warriors coming back healthy. We talk about the Nets having a a healthy KD and Kyrie. Mm -hmm. Does this, does everything change for you with those two or three changes? Or is it just kind of, you know, more obstacles in the way uh as far as like the heat and lakers go the lakers will obviously be around for a while and be legit for a while the heat i think have catapulted themselves back into the a scary team in the east and i think there's been a lot of talk about them being a landing spot for a high price free agent and bringing a star there and really that team is still built to bring that on to not interrupt what they're doing they've got a ton of great complimentary pieces everybody knows what they're doing everybody buys in so I think the Heat are going to be a scary team and a team to watch going forward. It's going to be a completely different year next year. When you think about the Warriors are going to be back to the Warriors that they were used to. Steph and Clay, just them, those two stepping back, it makes an immediate impact and puts them right back into title contenders. And same with the Nets. With teams getting healthy, like it's going to change the landscape. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think people are kind of sleeping on Steph and Clay. Like I kind of think they're – kind of forgetting about the Warriors a little bit, man. Those two are so good. And we've, I think I've spoke about this before. Steph Curry can play for another like 10 years. The dude is just going to have value forever. He's just, he can shoot. Mm-hmm. He can, he can shoot. He might get to a point in his career where he's not obviously the Steph Curry that we know, but I've gone from like loving Steph Curry to hating Steph Curry to back to like really just appreciating that dude for what he is and what he's done for the game. So I would like to see them successful again next year um, in comparison to like, I would rather see them win than the Clippers. I don't know. Or yeah. even, even in the Lakers, whatever it is, I'm, I am going to go out of my way right now. Hot take alert. I don't think that the nets are going to be that good next year. I, I I'm not sold on Kyrie Irving as a basketball player in general. I don't like Kyrie. I, I don't think he does that much for teams. He's a, he's a very skilled player, arguably the most skilled in the league right now. But I don't. he doesn't play well with people. And I know him and KD are friends, which is cool and everything. But an Achilles tear at 30-whatever for Kevin Durant is a big deal. So do you see the Nets being any good next year? Uh, I, I mean, they're going to make the playoffs. They'll, be, they'll win a lot of games. They'll be in contention. I don't, I don't ever see them – getting to the level of legitimate title contenders just because I can't see this working out, even with just as simple as Steve Nash being the head coach with no real experience. And like, did you see the quote by Kyrie talking about how like 
everyone he's like there's not a true head coach i could be the head coach one day steve will do it one day kd can do it one day like that is not how a team can be run by any means <laughs> no so no at some point i think this is destined to blow up but i think they'll be decent for next year and maybe even a year after that yeah i mean i don't think they're gonna be bad you yeah, know i don't think exactly. they're gonna be like they'll be a top six seed in in the east mm-hmm. and probably top it's people forget how good KD is when he's healthy too. He is right up there with, and I know you mentioned the Achilles tear, but just like when you talk about a guy who can score at will, he's arguably the greatest just pure scorer we ever seen just in that he can score in however way he wants on a basketball court. And he's seven yeah. foot can pull up like it's nothing. He can post up, he can dribble, he can do whatever on a basketball court. He is the best scorer. I think the game of basketball has ever seen. Agreed. And, I I don't like I'm not a Kevin Durant guy. I, I dislike him as much as the next guy, you know, but you can't deny how good that guy is at basketball. Like it's it's amazing to me what he does. Mm-hmm. And you know, you talk about three level scoring. I talk about Kevin Durant, I say like 15 level scoring. He can do it from literally anywhere. And that's something you don't see from a lot of guys. Like he's not even just like a good scorer at places. He is a great scorer from damn near anywhere on the court which is insane mm-hmm. um i want to talk about some young teams we saw the dallas mavericks um give the clippers a good series even without a, a healthy porzingis um and they apparently according to brian windhorse are the front runners or could be front runners for Giannis after next year um and then we also we also saw phoenix have some success in the bubble and you know i threw in a pity eastern conference team the Atlanta Hawks as like, you know, they're building a young team. Um, so who do you, what team like shows up the most on your radar for a team that might be good in the future? That hasn't been good of late. You're saying? Yeah. Like a young team, like that, like I, I would say Dallas, like they're obviously good. They were good this year. They had a good run. They lost in the first round, but like their best player is going to be 21 next season. Yeah. That's I, deal. I think the Mavericks are obviously tremendous building Luca and KP have potential to be, a great duo like that. Uh, I still really like the Suns and what they're putting together. I'm a big Devin Booker fan. I think he's legit. And starting to surround him with guys that can actually play up to the level that he is. DeAndre Ayton looked pretty good this year in yeah. the in the time that he got. Um, I yeah, I think I'm going with the Suns as my next up and coming team. And I think and the Kings as well. I'm going to throw in. I'm like actually am buying into what the Kings are doing. And even if. I'm obviously a big buddy healed guy and I pray that he is in a Sixers uniform and not a Kings Jersey next year, but even yeah. without him with the De'Aaron Fox and Harry Giles and all these guys that they're kind of developing, like they, it feels, feels like they're finally putting shooters and pieces together in a way that's building like a cohesive team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're going to look even better when Al Horford's is starting center. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah, but no, I, li- I like the Kings. I'm a big De'Aaron Fox guy. I love De'Aaron Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's going to put it together in terms of shooting. And once he does, the league is going to be on notice, man. He is yeah. so good. Um, obviously, like one of the faster guys in the league. Um, what about the, what about the, um, the Wizards? They're handcuffed, dude, in terms of cap space. But like getting John Wall back, if he could be some sort of productive next season – they might be decent. Yeah, I still am not fully on board in believing that John Wall and Bradley Beal can play well together. And Bradley Beal is obviously a great scorer, phenomenal scorer. Superstar. But it's just, I don't know. They're, they, I actually, unfortunately, see a lot of similarities between the Wizards and the Sixers in ways that, like, they don't have room to add more. They 
put their pieces in and got who they got. Like even all the hype around Otto Porter when they had him and he was supposed to be their third guy. And that obviously didn't work out, but I don't know. John Wall is still both Wall and Beal are terrific players. And if they can figure it out, they have a shot, but I'm not putting any eggs in that basket yet. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I wouldn't either. Um, they have, they have Rui, Rui Hachimura, yeah. but yeah. no, I'm, um, they are really in a kind of a bad position and paying as um, John Wall as much money as they do is not helping them at right. all. Um, one thing. So I saw, and this is what prompted this kind of topic here. I was watching NBA, the jump. Cause I like that show. I do, even though they have Paul Pierce and Kendrick Perkins on there, just mucking it up all the time. But um, I was watching that and they were talking, it was right after the finals. Um, it was on Tuesday. So right after the, la- the game six of the finals, um, and they were talking about Bam Adebayo. And Kendrick Perkins said, he's a top three big. And then he went on to mention Anthony Davis, Nikola Jokic, and Bam Adebayo. <laughs> and I look at my boss and I go, well, I guess Joel Embiid died or something. <laughs> and um, I, was just, I was just honestly dumbfounded by the statement that Joel Embiid is not a top three big in the NBA. Yeah. And... I just think that his impact goes unnoticed in a lot of ways that it shouldn't. Obviously, getting knocked out in the first round was tough. Getting swept by a rival team was obviously very tough. Um, but, man, I really, really hope that kind of thing lights a fire under Joel for next season and he comes out you know, and proves he's a legitimate top 10 player, proves he's a legitimate top two big and not number two. I, I want to go in right in from this into – the recency bias I want to talk about because I've seen a lot of um, not great things on Twitter recently, but that kind of thing, it, it just, it, it, this season calls for that kind of stuff. The regular season was so long ago right? and the bubble felt like it took forever. So it kind of felt like there was just a completely different season. So saying guys like Bam Adebayo and, and Anthony Davis and Duncan Robinson are, you know, playing great is, they play they, all those guys played really well. And I'm a fan of both um, Duncan Robinson and bam. I don't have a problem with other, like somehow I found a way to not have a problem with guys on the heat. And it happens to be the two of them, but bam out is not a top three big in the NBA. And Joel Embiid is not lower than two. Yeah. So Sweet. I just wanted to, I wanted to get that out. I wanted to, I've been building that up for a while. I would just want to hear your thoughts. Yeah, to start with, obviously, recency bias has a ton to do with that. I also love Bam Adebayo. I think he's a phenomenal player and developing star. My biggest issue with that whole statement is you'll never get me to say Nikola Jokic is better than Joel Embiid. No. And you can call that bias, call it how you want, but I just think pound for pound they're a better player and Embiid's just more of an all-around. Obviously, Jokic is a better passer, and I think Jokic would not be as successful here as he would be as he is in Denver. But I think Embiid could very well, like, you no, no matter where you put him, he's going to make that impact on the floor. And obviously, we build around him, and he's our guy. But I think Embiid's a much better basketball player versus Jokic is in the perfect system for him that makes him look as good as humanly possible that he can. Uh, again, Anthony Davis, even, even him and Embiid, I think, are incomparable talks. And – AD also falls into my, I think he gets a lot more love than he has earned this far. And that like, he, he obviously he's a tremendous player. He's terrific. He is, was arguably the MVP of this series and is phenomenal, but 
again, Embiid's right up there with all these guys. Yeah, and I mean, I just look at head-to-head. Mm-hmm. Embiid has basically owned Anthony Davis in most games that they've played. I mean, Embiid against Jokic has been, like, more 50-50, but – and Bam Adebayo, I mean, Embiid really gave him a lot of work this year. But regardless, I, I just don't know how we can get to that point where we're saying – those guys are better than – I mean, a couple months ago in March, we were not talking about Bam Adebayo being a top three big. Mm-hmm. We weren't. The argument the argument then was Carl Anthony Towns True. Which or AD or Nicole Jokic. I think Bam Adebayo is far better than Carl Anthony Towns. I don't – I'm not a fan of Cat. Yeah. I'm not. Um, but I don't know. I just had to get that off my chest. I had to say something about it, you know. But um, to go right into that recency bias, I saw a tweet. A couple of days ago, maybe it was like um, Monday night, whatever it was, saying that <laughs> Duncan Robinson is a better catch and shoot three point shooter than Clay Thompson. And before you get into it, because I know you're you're a big Debo guy, that is just so far from the truth. And not that eventually he won't become whatever he is. Clay Thompson has proved he's a three time champion. He scored sixty points in a game, thirty seven and a quarter. He took like seven dribbles and scored 50 whatever points. Like Clay Thompson is a legend. He is arguably he's a top five shooter ever. Duncan Robinson has had one good season that was kind of boosted by a good postseason. So I don't want to I don't want to take anything away from Duncan Robinson. He played really well and he seems like a good dude and he's a very good shooter. But that is just not something that can be said without any ramifications coming from that. Yeah, so first off, that tweet, it was just some random that sent it, and then Dame Lillard replied with just a, a face emoji. Just, yeah. So that's kind of where this blew up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm a huge Duncan Robinson guy, and as much as like he's obviously not better than Clay Thompson, and Clay Thompson deserves all the respect that he gets, and he's a tremendous shooter, uh, I still think Duncan Robinson is underrated around the league and around even just players. I think, like, I think this is a hot take, but it shouldn't be. Uh, Duncan Robinson is much more important to the Heat team than Tyler Hero, which I think yes. Hero gets a lot of the the buzz, and he obviously has the stones to shoot the big shot, and he's a cold-blooded. <laughs> I like Hero a lot, too. But Robinson moves off Seems ball. like you're a Heat fan. Yeah, I, I do like <laughs> But uh, Robinson moves off the ball better than pretty much anyone I've ever seen. You see a lot of Redick. Uh, influence on him just the way he runs mm-hmm. around the perimeter his release is ridiculously quick he was fourth in the league in three-point percentage this year so robinson deserves a lot of the respect that he is oh yeah but, yeah he's no, totally better than clay thompson no and and that was just something i kind of there hasn't been a lot of things that get me like fired up recently so i'm kind of just searching for him at this point um and that was just something i was like sitting on the couch and i'm like wow that can't be true that that is like a real thing yeah um, but duncan he he made 332 threes on 43.6 percent this year which only steph curry james harden clay have ever had more attempts and only curry made them at a higher percentage so he still had a ridiculous year when you think about that oh wow yeah that's that is impressive um but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go there yet we're gonna wait <laughs> yeah. um so um, actually, so I want to address some rumors. Apparently, Dave Yeager has become a front runner to be associate head coach. We saw Alvin Gentry go to the Kings, as we had talked about him before. I really like the idea of Dave Yeager. He's a great defensive coach. 
Um, I think he would get a lot out of Joel Embiid defensively. I think he would really improve um, Embiid's positioning and the things that he does. He had Marcus Stahl playing a defensive player of the year type of level when he was coaching the Grizzlies. I really liked that. I really liked that idea. Um, I just like to have another established guy come in and someone that knows what they're doing, someone that has a system in place, someone that can come in and be, you know, just professional and expect and get a lot out of our guys defensively. So how do you feel about that? Yeah, I like it. I mean, uh, I think Jaeger fits a lot of the way we were talking about that toughness and that, like that mentality that I want to see. I think he fits that the Grizzlies always kind of preach the defensive intensity, the not taking any grind grit and grind and, that's exactly when I see what I want to see more of here. Uh, again, and we've talked about the importance of that assistant head coach and like how important that position can be. And uh, I, I, a lot of people have talked about. Uh, I'm drawing a blank. Udo, the uh, oh yeah, and uh, assistant now. I've have not been impressed. Udoka. Yeah, Udoka. My bad. But uh, so yeah, I would love to get another defensive influence in here, and that's what I want to see. So I'm I would be 100 percent happy with that. Yeah, and I mean, we talked about earlier how important that um, mentality and that intensity is, you know, bringing in a guy like Markeith Morris or, or whoever it may be to bring that toughness, and and I like that. And to compete with a team like the Heat, we saw how grit or gritty they were um, throughout this postseason and how they just left it all on the line, and that's the type of stuff I need to see from the Sixers going forward, and I think Dave Yeager would be a good guy to bring that out of our current players. Um, so we're going to get right into our last piece here. Um, there's a lot of things the Sixers have to fix, right? We've been over this a million times. What do you think the biggest off-season issue that needs to be resolved is? Do you think it's moving Horford? Do you think it's adding to our bench? Or do you think it's adding shooting to our starting lineup slash bench? Yeah, so as much as I, I the short-term fixes are obviously shooting and getting guys in, and that's a glaring need that needs to be done the more I like work around what they can do with the money they have and the assets that they do have, I just, you just can't get around getting Al Horford out of here. He takes a 21.52% of the cap right now. And he just, for a guy that the less he plays, the better off the team is. And that there's nothing that he does. And I don't want to go in on Al Horford because he's a great dude. And I don't want like, I don't want to hate on him like that, but he just brings nothing to the team that helps in a way. There's no play style that we can like, shift to that would bring out more and still help the team or anything like that so pretty much anybody that you can swap him for is a step up and even if you're swallowing a bad contract for a year and getting that free money after that i'm totally okay with that yeah i think that moving horford should be priority number one because i don't think that you can do the other two things on this list without moving horford and i'm i'm all for finding a way to make money work where you take on a cheaper contract or whatever it is, you're, you're moving cash assets or whatever it may be finding a way to, to create some cap space, or even if you can somehow finesse a trade where you're getting bench scoring or you're getting shooting in the starting lineup or whatever it is, finding a way to do those type of things can only happen if you're moving Horford. Like you said earlier, we, there's guys like Joe Harris that are available, but you're not going to be able to get him because you are paying Al Horford, $33 million this year. Like, there's so much that has to happen. But really, I feel like he's the floodgate. And once you get him out of the way, it's just going to flow. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that within the next, you know, month or so, we see some, you know, 
trade rumors or whatever it is gaining some traction and i hope we see him out of here soon do you think this happens before the draft Do you think it happens before free agency what do you think if horford were to be traded do you think it's soon do you think it's later do you think it's ever what do you think here yeah if it does happen i i think it happens before next season uh i still think there's unfortunately a decent chance that he's back next year just because like it's tough to find a taker for this. It's a guy who's aging on a massive contract with there's, we're going to have to really pad other assets in there. Uh, I think that the, it will be before draft night too, just because of that 21 pick could very well play a role in that trade. And that's one of our assets that teams at least will find attractive and one more, more tradable pieces. The buddy healed swap still for what is still somewhat on the table and that needs to continue to be explored. And again, that's another that we're going to have to throw in Josh Richardson and pad that to just make it somewhat attractive. But whatever can they can get done should be done. Yeah, I saw something today that um, I forget who it was. I think it might have been someone from Bleacher Report, which, again, is not, you know, a very viable source. But um, they said that, that Josh Richardson is going to have to be packaged this offseason. Right. Um, I think he's up there in our most tradable pieces too, because he's coming off the hundred percent. He's like he's a, a guy that a lot of teams can look at and say like we can make that work just because he is very versatile. He he's a good basketball player. He does a lot of things, a lot of things really good. He doesn't do anything like spectacular, but he's a guy I'm okay with being on the team again next year. But I wouldn't lose any sleep over him not being here either. Yeah, and and like I value other guys higher than him. So if it meant like. If the deal was Horford and Matisse for Buddy Heald and we could swap out Matisse for Josh Richardson, I would much rather do something like that. And obviously, everyone now knows my bias towards Matisse. But um, just just in terms of value, I, I think that Matisse's value is way higher. And, and Richardson's on a cheap contract um, for what he brings in terms of he's going to be a starter and you only have to pay him $11 million. Um, so moving him, I think, is something that is really realistic and something that we could see happen over the next couple of weeks um, or before the draft or before next season starts. But again, like you said, I wouldn't be, I'm not going to be upset at all if he's on the team next year. I, I like Josh. I mean, I'm not going to be mad if he's here again. I really like him. I just, he hasn't been a great fit and I think he might fit better elsewhere, um, but I could totally see him playing for us again next year. And I, I like his defensive intensity and, and that, and that type of stuff and his energy. He's a guy that he was one of the few guys that always brought energy um, to every game so i like josh if he moves like you said i'm not going to be you know torn up about it but if it gets horford off the books i'll be very happy one way or another um that being said i think we can wrap it up here sean uh, it's been a great episode i appreciate you as always um go buy a watch you know check what time it is all the time you just show it off you know what i mean um use our code psp10 we appreciate you guys follow us on our socials and we'll talk to you guys soon